Well, our house, the Cossack home, always has fruit. Something you may not know, but if you come into our house, you're going to see fruit. We always have fresh fruit, usually bananas and cuties, which you are, if you are not familiar with the cutie, it is tiny oranges, uh, and sometimes apples. So we, we've always got fresh fruit sitting there. And then we have frozen fruit, which typically is mangoes, pineapple, blueberries, and strawberries. I think that's kind of the, the mix that we typically have for our daily smoothie regimen. And uh, our kids love to make smoothies. Melissa loves to make smoothies. And that having been said, there are nine of us. So when we buy fruit, <clears throat> we buy fruit. And we buy fruit in quantity. And, and we buy a ton of all of it. Uh, and occasionally, people just aren't in the mood for fruit or we get busy and the bananas will sit out just a little bit too long. And I've discovered this. Bananas are a controversial thing with regard to ripeness. I don't know if you have a split home on this issue, but ours is a, div a house divided when it comes to the ripeness of bananas and when they are suitable for eating. I think everyone has a different ripeness scale. You know how you see those Facebook posts where you have like toast and you have like a grid of nine pieces of toast in different levels of toastedness and you're supposed to vote on the one? They could probably do the same thing with the ripeness of bananas and when the banana is ready to eat. Um, you know, some people like bananas with just a hint of yellow, but still mostly green. And these people are psychopaths, okay? Who likes a banana that hasn't even had time to breathe? This is not normal behavior, church. And so anybody who is sitting in the room with my wife right now can just point a finger in her direction and maybe just scoot over just a little bit because she's off here. Some people like them mostly yellow with just a hint of green. Some like them mostly yellow with brown just starting to make an appearance and some like them mostly brown well on their way to becoming rotten once again these people have psychological issues and then again you may have to contend with someone who thinks that you know this they thinks let me let me just start again you may have to contend uh with that someone who thinks this much about the ripeness of bananas you know, if they're, if they're really wrapping their head around the ripeness of bananas this much and they put this much thought into it, that they have some issues of their own and you may be right. But then there are some people for whom the banana has to be completely yellow, no green, no brown. They have about a 10 minute window within which they can consume a banana and be happy. Otherwise it's too early or it's too late. But everyone has their preference when it comes to a banana and some people just don't like bananas. Um, but there's nothing better than fresh fruit. Fresh fruit is amazing. Fresh fruit is something that when you, when you eat a piece of fruit that is the correct amount of ripeness, it's an incredible experience. But fruit that's not fresh, you don't want anything to do with a piece of fruit that is not fresh. The Bible uses this metaphor of fruit to talk about the quality of our lives as followers of Jesus. We get this again and again throughout scripture. It's this recurring theme that's woven throughout scripture. And before we even read the passage from one of Paul's letters that we're going to visit today, just from our understanding of apples and oranges by themselves, we can understand this. There's nothing appealing about a Christian with stale fruit. There's nothing appealing about a Christian with stale fruit, unless it's a banana, then of course it's very appealing. But unfortunately, there are far too many people walking around who carry the name of Christ and are living a life that is stale and disconnected from the source of fresh power that the Bible promises would be present in the lives of his followers. 
and they're disconnected and their fruit is stale. Their fruit is non-existent in some cases. And in this sermon series, we're, we're taking a journey through the letters of Paul uh, that he wrote to the early churches. And in this particular letter, he wrote to the church in Galatia. And in this section of the letter, he's teaching them about how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on for a while about what this looks like to live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we read this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kinds of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now this fruit in this list, and, and this is a passage that probably is familiar to some of you, even if you're not that familiar with the Bible, this list of, of characteristics, this list of fruit, as the Bible calls them, uh, is, is probably known, or you've heard it, or it's familiar in some way. And the fruit here might seem to be listed randomly, but there is absolutely an order to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is an order to this in why it's listed in this way. And, and what we have is, is three different categories here. The first three fruit uh, is fruit that points us towards God. We have love. God is love and all love comes from him. We have joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength and peace. And there's this peace that goes beyond our understanding, our comprehension that comes only from God. So love, joy, and peace all point us towards God and what he does in our lives. The second three is fruit that points us toward one another. We have patience, kindness, and goodness. And these are all outward focused fruit towards those that are, uh, we're in relationship with here on earth. Patience, kindness, and goodness. And then finally, we have the last three. And this is fruit that helps us become better versions of ourselves. Okay, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are more internal qualities. These are internal uh, fruit that uh, we see manifested in our lives as the Holy Spirit brings this about. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? What are these items? How do we characterize these things? What does each one actually mean? And how do we know on a very practical level if we're showing this fruit in our lives? Because here's the thing, it starts off with love. Well, I don't know about you, but I've heard probably a hundred different definitions of love in my lifetime. And what love means to one person can mean something completely different to another person. And so what I'm going to do is run through these and give you a biblical definition of each one of these. What does it mean according to the word that is used in scripture? And I'm going to move pretty quickly. I'm going to apologize in advance. You may, if you're a note taker, you may not have time to copy all these down exactly as I move through these. And so if that's the case, you can either watch the recording later and they'll be on the screen so you can jot them down. Or if you need my notes, just ask me. I'd be glad to shoot you my notes uh, and you can look at those later. Uh, but uh, I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. So the first one is love. And love is the counterintuitive, which means it doesn't come naturally, the counterintuitive decision to desire and work toward the best for another person even if it comes at personal cost or sacrifice. We want the best for someone else, even if it costs us something dearly. 
This is the big one, isn't it? I mean, so much has been written in the New Testament concerning love. The love of God, the love of God in us, the love of God shown through us, the love of God which redeems us. Love is the baseline. Love is the foundation. So that's where we start. Second is joy. Joy is a delight of the mind and of the soul that is independent of present happiness. Joy is not linked uh, inexorably to happiness. You can have joy without being happy. Uh, you can also be happy without having joy. Joy is different than happiness. Joy is something you keep with you regardless of your circumstances, whereas happiness is very much dependent on our circumstances. Joy is available to us in spite of what is happening around us. We can have joy because it comes from God and our relationship with him. Next, we have peace. Peace is a deep sense of contentment and well-being that is rooted in our relationship with God and all that Jesus accomplished for us. So peace, or shalom in, in Hebrew, is, is more than the absence of conflict. Peace goes way more than just an absence of conflict. It means a completeness and a soundness and a, a, a sense of well-being. It's holistic in nature. It's not just something eternal that we will have someday, but it's something that we can have now. And this is that supernatural peace that God can bring us. Next, we have patience, and patience means consistency. Now, that may not sound right to you, but when you, the biblical definition of patience, this is learning to remain constant, no matter what may be happening at the moment. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible translate the word, what we translate patience in most modern translations, uses the word long-suffering. Okay? It's the ability to endure through all things and remain steadfast. It is consistency despite adversity, despite bumps in the road. No matter what happens, we are patient. We are consistent in our walk with him. Next is kindness. Kindness is a visible demonstration of God's love toward other people. Now the key here is visible. It's got to be something tangible and not just an internal state of mind. I can't just think happy thoughts about someone and have that come across as kindness. There has to be an act. There has to be something spoken. There has to be something done. There has to be a, a serving uh, quality to it. There's something that we do that impacts the life of someone else in a positive way and shows God's love to them. That is kindness. Next is goodness. Goodness is the intentional choosing of and doing the right thing. So you choose the right thing and you do the right thing. That's goodness. I want you to note, goodness is not not sinning. Goodness is not just avoiding sin. That's not goodness. Goodness is choosing and doing the right thing. Proverbs 10.9 says, People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will slip and fall. And so there's this sense of uh, goodness is choosing the right thing consistently all the time, whether people are there or not. There's an integrity to our decision-making. Having the fruit of goodness means you do what is right even when no one else is looking, when no one else knows but you and Jesus. So then we come to faithfulness. Faithfulness is the practice of sticking to what you have promised in the face of challenges and obstacles. Now, what, what promise have we made? The promise you made is the moment you say yes to Jesus. That's the promise that you and I have both made. We're not promising to be forgiven. 
we're promising to follow him. We get forgiven in the process, but our promise is not to receive forgiveness. Our promise is to follow Jesus. The, forgiven, the forgiveness follows the faithful following, which is also our tongue twister for the day. <laughs> the forgiveness follows the faithful following. Um, as we follow Jesus faithfully, forgiveness follows that. And so next we arrive at gentleness. Now gentleness is humility and thankfulness towards God and restraint towards those around us. Humility and thankfulness towards God and restraint toward those around us. It's also translated in some translations as meekness. Gentleness is meekness. Meekness is not the same as weakness. Okay, if, if you hear somebody called meek, you may get this mental image of somebody who's weak and they're kind of, they're, they're not a real tough person. Um, but it's not, it's an attitude of brokenness. It involves control of our strength. It's controlled strength. It's restraint in our power uh, and in our emotions. Often gentleness and meekness is the difference between responding and reacting. It's that taking time to decide and to think through. And instead of just giving it a, a gut level emotional reaction, we're giving a planned and well thought through response to something. And so that is gentleness uh, in the fruit. And then finally, the last one is self-control. And self-control is learning to maintain control of your own sinful desires. It's learning to maintain control of your own sinful desires. It comes from God. Self-control comes from God, but it's controlling the sinful nature found within you. Now, the list begins with love which is considered by many to be the source of all the other qualities listed here. They all flow out of love. And at the other end of the list is self-control. And self-control is required if we're going to demonstrate any of the other qualities at all, because we have to learn to suppress that sinful nature that we have so we can allow the fruit to come out in our lives. So that is the fruit of the Spirit, the qualities that Paul teaches us. Uh, they demonstrate that a life is led by the Holy Spirit. This is what is produced from a life that is spirit-led. Uh, and as we make the decision to follow Jesus, the Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And this is what comes out of a life where the Holy Spirit is in control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And fruit is fresh when it is continually being produced, when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to produce that fruit in us. That's why we call it produce, because it's continual, continually being produced. Fruit of the Spirit is produced when we stay connected to Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that later in a little bit more detail. But fruit of the Spirit is produced when we just we stay connected, we remain in Him. Uh, but before we get to that point, I want to emphasize one thing about this list uh, that we just went through. And that is this, fruit is intended to be used in every area of our lives. This isn't, we tend to compartmentalize our lives way too much. We look at our work life, we look at our family life, we look at our church life, we, we, we look at our, our, our neighborhood and, and how we interact with people around us. And we tend to compartmentalize all those things as different. And then we have our spiritual life. But really, if you talk to somebody from, from Hebrew culture, uh, they didn't consider anything their spiritual life because everything was their spiritual life. 
God touched every facet. He touched their jobs and, and how they earned their living. He touched their family. He touched their relationships with others, how they treated their fellow man. Everything was spiritual. There was a spiritual component to everything they did. And we need to approach our lives the same way. The fruit of the Spirit should be evident, not just in our church life or not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with everything in his creation. When we go about our jobs, the fruit of the Spirit should be evident. When we have relationship with our next door neighbor, the fruit of the Spirit should be evident with our spouse, with our kids, at church. All of these things, the fruit of the Spirit should be there. And if we're showing the fruit in one area of our lives, like with our church family, for example, but not in another, like with our coworkers, then it's counterfeit. It's not genuine. We're just putting on a show at that point because true fruit is going to come out. We don't have to force it. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. It's not seek his will when you're around other church folk. Okay, It doesn't just say seek his will with regard to how you approach your relationship with God. It says in everything you do, with everyone, in all circumstances, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of a life lived for God should always be flowing out of the life of a believer. And so take a moment right now and just think about your life. Think about how you communicate. Think about your thought life and, and what you wrestle with internally. Think about how you act at your job. Think about how you act at school. Think about what your life looks like with, with, when you're uh, interacting with those that you come into contact with on a daily basis. Is that typified by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is that how someone would describe you. And, and it's something that we all need to be thinking about and praying about and asking God. And so here's the thing, where does the fruit come from? It's this, if it's that important, and this is what demonstrates that we are living a life that is spirit-led, then we need to understand where does it come from and how do we ensure that we are producing this fruit? Because I want that to be what I'm known for. I want that to be what comes out of my life. And so what I want to do is give you four keys today to a life that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Four things that we can do to ensure that the fruit is regularly and ongoing being produced in our lives. And the first thing that we all need to realize and the first thing we need to do is we need to stop trying to grow fruit. We need to stop trying to grow fruit. From the time we are little, and I don't know if this is just American culture or if this is global, but we are taught to become self-reliant. Everybody teaches their kids to stand on their own two feet, to, to be your own person and you know, become self-reliant, to learn to do things on your own, to rely on your own strength, to not have to depend on others. But the gospel is completely the opposite of this. The gospel teaches us something that is the complete flip side of this. The gospel teaches us that because of what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection, we can depend completely on him and not rely on our own strength. In fact, in our weakness, scripture says he is strong. His strength is made perfect 
in our weakness. And so we need to depend on him and not depend on our own and what we bring to the table. Now, I want you to listen to this next passage because it's a little longer passage, but it speaks so well uh, to what we're talking about in Galatians 5. And this is found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. Let's stop right there for just a second. When we depend on our own strength, this says, we're not going to grow. We're not going to reach our full potential. We're not going to be fresh. We're not going to be full of life. We're going to be dry and shriveled up and really no good. So that's what Jeremiah says. And then he continues, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and get this, and they never stop producing fruit. This is such a perfect passage for what we're talking about today. Every time we read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, this passage should be linked right next to it. It should be required reading when you finish reading Galatians 5. It should send you right to Jeremiah chapter 17. It should be immediate required reading because it gives us the answer for how to produce fruit. And it, here's the secret. You don't have to try. Fruit is something a tree naturally produces. It doesn't have to work to produce the fruit. You don't see a tree standing in an orchard with a pained expression on his face struggling to produce fruit. It just happens. Fruit grows naturally unless there is something unhealthy preventing it. Now get that. Fruit grows naturally unless there is something unhealthy preventing it. And that is a spiritual truth as well. Our fruit of the Spirit is going to grow and be produced naturally in the lives of a follower of Jesus unless there is something unhealthy spiritually that is preventing it from growing. So we need to stop trying to produce fruit and instead focus on removing those things that are inhibiting it. We are not fruit manufacturers. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Remember Galatians 5.22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He does it. We don't. We can't produce this at the miraculous level that needs to be present. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who produces it. And how many of us, I mean, we've all done this. We've gone through seasons of our lives where we try so hard to have joy, okay? Or we struggle to have more patience. The Bible teaches that all of these things are gifts from God. They are fruit. And as we walk with Jesus, fruit should and will be the byproduct of that relationship with Jesus. If Christ is the center of your life, fruit happens. It's going to come out. John 15, 5, Jesus said, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, who stay connected with me, 
and I in them will produce much fruit. I'm telling you, the Bible is just full of passages related to this concept of fruit being produced in our lives. So stop trying and start pursuing. Stop struggling and start yielding. The fruit will grow in your life. So that's step one. Step two or uh, concept number two that we need to wrap our heads around, healthy fruit comes from deep roots. Healthy fruit comes from deep roots. With a fruit-bearing tree or plant, you don't grow fruit by focusing on the fruit. Fruit happens naturally when the roots are deep and healthy and when the soil is good. If the soil is good and the roots are going down into good soil, you're going to get fruit. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. And we don't have to worry about the soil, guys. We grow in Christ. He's the soil. We're all good there. Our soil is well-conditioned. We don't have to do anything to treat the soil. No fertilizer needed. Jesus is all we need and we stay connected with him and our roots go down deep into our relationship with him. So our sole focus is to make sure we are rooted in Christ. So the question we have to answer is, where are we planted? Where are the spiritual roots of our lives connected? Everybody is connected spiritually somewhere. Even an atheist has spiritual connections somewhere. We all are connected spiritually. For some, they're connected to, they feel like they're connected to the earth. For some, they're connected to another religion. Um, but we are connected to Jesus. We are connected to the one who gave his life for us, who came and lived a perfect life, who died for my sins and for yours, and on the third day was raised back to life. He was resurrected, demonstrated power over sin and the grave. And we now have eternal life available to us because of what Jesus did for us. And so if that's your spiritual connection and you are rooted in that truth and you are rooted in that relationship, the fruit is going to come out of your life. Now, some Christians approach spiritual growth kind of like stapling roses to a dead rose bush. Okay, the rose bush is dead, nothing's growing on it, but somebody comes and maybe duct tapes some big old rose, you know, flowers onto that dead rose bush. Now, if you drive by and you look at that rose bush quickly, you might think it's healthy. Wow, look at the roses on that thing. But stapling roses on there doesn't fix the real problem. And in the same way, you're not going to grow spiritually by trying to act loving, or to add love, joy, and peace and everything else to your life. You can only fake it and, and you know, try to work it up in yourself for so long. And someone who really gets up close to us spiritually is going to see right through it. So we can't produce it ourselves. You can only do it by driving your roots deep in your relationship with Christ. The more you embrace his love, the more you embrace, embrace his promises, the more you spend time in his presence and learn what it means to abide in him, the more spiritual fruit will appear naturally in your life. And as you read through the list of the fruit of the spirit, you may think, man, I, I am not even close. Like that is not describing me. I have no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or goodness. And I definitely have no self-control. Maybe this week I can work on kindness and goodness, you know, if I really try hard. I've got a different suggestion for you, okay? Stop looking at yourself 
and lamenting how bad you are at living this stuff out because it's not about you. You need to stop thinking it's about you and what you can do. Instead of looking at yourself, you need to look at Jesus and start saying things like, in Christ, I am righteous. In Christ, I, I have been chosen before the foundation of the world. In Christ, I am an overcomer. I am so precious that Jesus gave his life for me. I am no longer only a servant, but I am also a friend. I am not a slave, but I am a son or a daughter. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I am filled with all the fullness of God. You start thinking that way and looking at the promises that scripture says, follow those who are in Christ, and you will have a very different perspective on who you are and what you are capable of as the Holy Spirit works through you. For every one look you take at yourself, depressed about your lack of spiritual fruit, take 10 looks at Jesus and marvel at his faithfulness to us. And as you drive your roots deeper into his truth and his power and his blessing, fruit will come to your life just as naturally as apples come to an orchard. Colossians 2.7, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. There's an overflowing, there is a, a production of thankfulness and the fruit of the spirit will come out as we let our faith grow strong in the truth of who Jesus is and let our roots go down deep into him. Next point I want you to, to think about today. You are only as spiritually mature as your most immature spiritual fruit. You are only as spiritually mature as your most immature spiritual fruit. Now, when you read Galatians 5, uh, especially those of you who are grammar junkies like me, you might wonder about Paul's grammar in verse 22 because Paul says the fruit is singular and then he gives a plural list, okay? And I mean, shouldn't Paul have said the fruits of the spirit are not the fruit of the spirit is? And the Greek is singular, so it definitely and intentionally is written fruit, not fruits. And Paul wasn't being a sloppy grammarian. He was pointing out that these are not separate virtues that you kind of glom onto your life individually, but they're the collective evidence of Christ in you. If Jesus is in you, they will all start to appear. They will all grow. You cannot pick and choose. This is not a piecemeal thing. This is not a buffet where you say, I'll take some love and some patience and some goodness. Eh, Self-control, I'll leave that alone for now. You can't work on one and not another. This is all or nothing. It is the fruit collectively of the spirit. And sometimes we confuse personality traits for spiritual fruits, right? Uh, some Christians are more reserved by nature. So we look at them and say, now that person has patience. But they're not joyful or kind. Or a Christian who's really gentle and kind to others may never tell people about Jesus. Or maybe someone who's bold in telling others about Jesus, but he does it with no kindness. And when you find one virtue that's far out of balance from the others, it's likely you're, not, you're, you're looking not at gospel fruit, but personality traits, because we are all wired differently. We all have different personality makeups. And, and you know, that's why, you know, I'm so thrilled. I announced earlier that Pastor Ken is joining our team as our care pastor, because this is something Ken excels at. 
He loves to love on people. He loves to make people feel good. He loves to reach out to them when they're hurting. That compassionate nature is part of how he's wired. And so we all have different giftings. We all have different things that that motivate us, that we feel good when we do, that come more naturally to us. Those are personality traits. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Where Jesus is, all the fruit grow as one. You are loving and kind. You are gentle and good. You are patient and joyful. And you are only as spiritually mature as your most immature fruit. When you observe an area where you are fruitless, let's say kindness is something that, man, you just is non-existent in your life, it's an indicator that your life isn't fully submitted to God in some area. You're not rooted in him. You know, think of it like this. Think of it like uh, if you have a barrel, you know, barrels are made of these slats or staves that go up the side of a barrel. You could have nine complete staves in a 10 slotted barrel, nine that go all the way to the top, but you have one of these that maybe only goes up halfway. Well, where will the water level be inside that barrel? It's only getting halfway. It's not going all the way to the top. It's going to spill over where that lowest slat is. And that's what happens spiritually to us. If, if, if we have one fruit that is down here, maybe all the other ones are up here, but one is way down here, then here's the thing. That's where your spiritual maturity level is, not up here. We need to strive to have our roots go down deep in Christ so all of the fruit is produced equally in our lives. Spiritual fruit is the evidence of a life fully submitted to God. Fruit is not something you try and produce to become a Christian. Fruit is something you produce because you are a Christian. It's not about doing, it's about being. It's not about trying, it's about abiding. You know, a fish does not become a fish by swimming. It swims because it's a fish. You were chosen to bear fruit. John 15, 16, listen to this verse. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Jesus has a plan for your life and that plan involves producing fruit in you and to allow that fruit to transform the world around you. We just have to stay connected to him and let the Holy Spirit work in us. All right. Uh, one more point I want you to hear this morning. You don't avoid the acts of the sinful nature to produce more fruit. You produce more fruit to avoid the acts of the sinful nature. Let me say that again. You don't avoid the acts of the sinful nature to produce more fruit. You produce more fruit to avoid the acts of the sinful nature. You don't do less bad things to do more right things. You do more right things to eliminate the bad things in your life. In Galatians 5, right before Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, he gives a list of some examples of what a life looks like when it's following our own sinful desires as opposed to a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Okay, These are the acts of the sinful nature is how they're described earlier in Galatians 5. And it's a pretty horrible list, okay? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I mean, this is not a pleasant list. Uh, it's a list no follower of Jesus wants to be known for or associated with. So maybe it's understandable that a lot of Christians focus on eliminating these things from their lives. But here's the amazing thing about the gospel. We don't need to focus on our sin. We need to focus on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews 
tells us how to complete the race that we're all running in Hebrews 12 too. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Focus on Jesus. And guys, this is such a freeing concept for us. If you're struggling with temptation, if you're feeling like you just can't get victory in some areas of your life, if there is an obvious lack of the fruit of the spirit in places, remember this concept. Don't live to avoid sin. Live to get as close to Jesus as you can. Because here's what happens. If we live to avoid sin, what we end up is bumping up against the line. You know, if there is a dividing line between sin and not sin, too many of us live as close to that line as we can get. We live in the gray areas. And for some, it's like they try to stay as close to sin as they can without actually sinning. When the reality is we should be living as close to Christ as possible. I'm as far away from sin as I can possibly be because I'm as close to Jesus as I can get. Don't live on that line live next to Jesus. That's how we should live our lives. Abide in him. Soak yourself in his presence. That's the answer to the question, how do I produce spiritual fruit? You don't. You get as close as you can to the one who does and allow the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit in you. You don't need to produce anything. Following Jesus and living for God isn't about staying productive. It's about staying connected. It's not about staying productive. It's about staying connected. Following Jesus is about connecting with him. And then the fruit will come and the world will see Jesus through you. John 15, 8. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Guys, I don't know about you. I want to be considered a disciple of Jesus. And this verse in John 15, 8, out of the word, mouth of Jesus when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. We have to have the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is critical to your spiritual well-being, to your spiritual influence on the world around you, to your ability to bring change to other people's stories. All of it hinges upon the fruit of the Spirit being present in your life. And the fruit of the Spirit being present in your life depends solely on how connected you are to Jesus. How deep do your roots go? Do you abide in his presence? And that is my prayer for each one of us, that we would be fruit-bearing, true disciples of Jesus, following him, staying close to him, showing him to the world around us through the fruit our lives produce, and that through our fruitful lives, Trilogy would be a fruitful and world-changing church. Would you bow your heads with me today? God, we come to you this morning grateful that following you is not about doing. It's not about a list of things that we have to accomplish or we have to make right. We have to check all these boxes in order to be deemed worthy. Jesus, we'll never be worthy. We're worthy because of you and your presence in our lives. And God, I pray that as we let go, as we surrender as we uh, plant ourselves deep into the soil of our relationship with you, Holy Spirit, you would produce lasting fruit in our lives. And God, I pray for anyone listening right now who is not connected with Jesus. 
There's a disconnect there. Maybe they've never had relationship with Jesus or they've, they've drifted and, and they, they've, they're not spiritually connected. They're not abiding. Lord, I pray today that you would bring transformation in their lives. And if you're here this morning as I pray, if there's a desire in your heart to get connected with Jesus and to ask him to forgive you, would you just take a moment right now while I pray and just say something like, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I'm sorry. I want to live for you. I want to stay connected with you. And I want that fruit in my life. Just pray a heartfelt prayer like that while we pray together. But God, for all those who may be whispering a prayer like that right now, God, I pray that you would bring life where there is lifelessness. I pray that you would bring a, a new story, a new chapter of their life to begin living uh, not for themselves and, and not for the acts of the sinful nature that we described earlier, but Jesus, for you, for your presence, for your plan. Uh, and God, I just pray that you would make them a new person in this moment as they pray that prayer. And God, I pray for each one of us that as the fruit begins to grow in our lives, that God, we would be productive as your followers, that we would be true disciples as you called us. And as we are, God, let our church be a difference-making church, not just for the lives of those who call Trilogy home, but God, in our communities and around the world, God, through our missionaries that we support and work through and partner with, God, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would be something that Trilogy is known for. That, God, people would get connected with our church and say, this is a loving place. This is, it's just filled with joy. That there, there is a kindness and a goodness there. That, God, all of the fruit would be present in our church because it's present in us. Help us, God, to do everything we can to live as close to you as possible. And, God, use us in every way you want to. We thank you, Lord. Be with us this week. It's in Jesus' incredible name that we pray. Amen.